0: Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at
1: citychurchseville.com. Good morning. Uh, My name is uh, Peter, and you're... this is fair warning. I'm the one preaching today, um, but uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount at City Church, and I'm gonna talk about that more today. But I felt really, I felt that it was really important um, that today of all days that we hear what Jesus taught his disciples as more important than like whatever I'm gonna say about it. So I've asked my friend Diane to come up here and do something a little unusual at City Church, which is read the entirety of the passage for us before I say anything. So my friend Diane is gonna figure out a microphone, and then she's gonna come up here and read Matthew chapter six, and she and I are both sort of hypochondriacal, so this is a big, big favor from her to me. So come on up here.
0: Good morning, morning and welcome to City Church. We are reading the word of God from Matthew 6. In its entirety, it begins with, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink and sufficient for the day is its own trouble." That concludes Matthew 6.
1: Why don't we say a word of prayer? Pray with me. Um, Jesus, you're a lot of different things. You're the son of God and the son of man, the Messiah of Israel, but you're also the great teacher. They couldn't find something better to call you than rabbi. So we ask that you would be our teacher today, that you would make us true disciples, and that you would change our lives to look more the way you want them to look. We pray all of this in your own name. Amen. Um, Some of you are probably new to City Church, and you don't know me. Some of you have been here for a long time, and if you have, I'd just like to tell you it's me, it's Peter, under this beard. Every man, don't let them fool you, wonders if they can grow a beard. And I figured, what with a pandemic and me being like gone for a couple weeks, I could get past the itchy, gross phase. And it turns out I can grow a beard, which is. (laughs) Um, And you know, Psalm one thirty three says how joyful it is uh, when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like oil pour, poured down the head, running down the beard. And I didn't know this, but that is so real. Like if this gets sort of itchy, I got this $12 beard oil at Walmart. It makes like all the difference in the world. It's crazy. Anyway, it's like your hair gets softer and your skin gets softer. So um, I look a little different and maybe that's a little weird. In fact, I think a lot of things are kind of weird right now. It's wonderful to like be back in this building and back with God's people and to almost be able to touch you. Um, But I feel like as we're coming into the fall, things are getting like a little weird again. And by weird, I mean that things that feel usually so normal and familiar, you don't think about them, now look kind of different. Like on the national scale, that's true. We've had a lot of national conversations that make familiar things look different or shed a different light on them. Or even like the first day of school, like, I've been in school a long time. I wear perfectly round tortoiseshell glasses and my left part is thinning right up here and I got that like academic hunch. So if there's anything I know, it's the first day of school. And the first day of school looks very different this year. Not how I thought it would at my own seminary. I hear lots of UVA students are sort of adjusting. Or like fall sports, those I think are gonna be weird and different. The one that has also struck me is uh, the postal service. Like, I. It takes me a while to figure what's going on in a news story, so I read it a little bit, just to make sure I wasn't crazy. But like, when was the last time you thought you might not get mail ever again? Like, very familiar, reliable, like building blocks of American life are sort of shifty. And as we're coming into the fall, as we're taking this pandemic into a new season, I think things that we expect every September, they look different. And when things look weird, when... Familiar things become strange. We kind of go looking for directions. And on some level, we're all asking the question like, well, what are we supposed to do? And there's a bajillion people who will offer you directions if you want them. Like on the mosh pit of the internet and through every media outlet, there's somebody with an idea about how this is supposed to go and how we're supposed to act. And I like a lot of those, truly because they, like, fit my philosophical persuasions or my kind of political leanings or whatever it is. But if you follow Jesus, and some of us here may not, and a lot of us out there may not, if you follow Jesus, here's the thing. To be a disciple of Jesus is to believe that he gets the last word and the first word on what's true and what we do with our lives, the decisions we make, and how we build the architecture of this, like, one life we have. And so when we go looking for directions, we look to Jesus, which is why I am so very happy that City Church is going through the Sermon on the Mount. Like, all of the Bible is inspired, but it's a big book. And like, how much of it are you going to read this year? You know, like, maybe you're doing the Bible in a year plan, but if you do that, you feel like you finished a marathon. So when you look to the Bible for help, it is helpful to maybe know the shape of the Bible, like the best first place to land and maybe you know this, or maybe this is sort of new territory, but Saint Matthew believed that the Sermon on the Mount was going to be the place where Christians went first for the rest of history when they were looking to get oriented to Jesus. Matthew builds his gospel in such a way that the Sermon of the Mount has this center of gravity. It's like Christianity 101. So the Bible is a big story, And this is a little artificial, but sometimes we say it comes in six acts or six movements. And the long story of the Bible is the story of a marriage and a divorce. So is the six act slide behind me? Ha ha! Okay. So act one is creation. And in the creation story, God makes the world as this temple. That's why humanity is the image of God, because when you build a temple, you put an image of the God there so everybody knows who the God is. And... God expects to dwell in his temple, because that's what you do when you're a God in a temple. But then in act two, in the fall, humanity decides that they're gonna be God instead, knowing good and evil. And so they kind of tell God that God's not allowed to be God in God's temple. And so they push God out. And then God, who never gives up on the world, needs to find some way to fix the creation project by fixing the humanity mission. Humans were supposed to be the image of God. If creation's going to go right, humans have to do that. So what does God do? Well, in Act 3, God decides to commit to one family. And he makes this sort of agreement with a guy named Abraham. He goes, look, Abraham, if your family lives life the way I want it lived, maybe if I do the Abraham mission, I can fix the humanity mission so I can fix the creation project. And if you've read the Old Testament, which takes a little while, um, it rarely goes well. So in Act 4, God says, what I need to do now is fix the Abraham mission to fix the humanity mission to fix the creation project, and that's Jesus. So Jesus comes to earth as like the model Israelite. He is both like the true Israelite and the true Israel. And all over the gospels, the gospel writers are trying to sign that to us. Act 5 is the church, that's where we live, And that means that whatever happened in Act 4, we're supposed to keep it going until Act 6, when God finally makes everything right in this kind of radical new way. Well, if you know some of the Old Testament story, you know there's a story about Moses, who's born under the reign of a crazy king who's trying to kill babies, but he's a very special baby. And then his family tries to keep him safe in Egypt, and then he grows up. And he calls the Israelites, and they cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Uh, they, cross the Jordan, they cross the Red Sea, and they wander in the desert for 40 years. They cross the Jordan River. They go into the promised land. I don't know if you clocked this, but that sounds a lot like Jesus in Matthew. So Jesus is born under a crazy king who's trying to kill babies. He's a very special baby. He flees into Egypt for safety, and then he's baptized in the Jordan River. He wanders for 40 days in the desert where he's tempted. And then he stands up to give the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is trying to say like, hey, everything Moses did, I'm like doing that. I'm just doing it in this newer, truer way. He's not erasing the Old Testament. He's like living into it. And so in the same way that the Torah was supposed to be the rule of Israel's life, Jesus expects the Sermon on the Mount to be his read on the Torah. If you wanna know Basically, Jesus' vision, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and so we come to chapter six, which is what I've got, which we've heard all of, and we're looking to Jesus to figure out directions. And so Matthew chapter six starts like this again. It says, "Beware, stop you right there. So I don't know about you, but for me, beware is a world word that means there's like a rabid dog around the corner or like. Someone's released a cobra in the house, and if someone says "beware," it's like scary. But the word Jesus, is, Jesus uses here is "prosechete." Say with me: "Prosechete." You didn't think you'd use that phlegm today, did you? And "prosechete" means less like "be scared," and means more sort of like "be mindful." If you if you prosecho something, you you take care, like you have a certain amount of concern or care, or commitment. It can almost be like compassion in some ways. Jesus says, just take notice. A lot of times this chapter is used to make you feel like you've never done anything good at all. Or like anytime like, someone sees you pray or watches you give, it's just like ruined, it's ruined. And so you kind of go around the world like terrified, like no one can know, and I always have to donate anonymously. And if I pray up front, it doesn't count or something. But I don't really think Jesus is trying to do that. I think he's just saying I want you to think about this. I mean, think seriously, but I want you to be mindful. And when you go around the world, think about this. Don't do your righteousness in front of other people. So I've tried to make this sort of elaborate slide, which I hope will work. Throw it up there for me. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Greek is a language that doesn't rely on a word order. It relies on this thing called case. So you can kind of like, shake up the words and spill them out, and the sentence will basically still come out right. And Jesus does this funny thing here. So if you were to translate order-wise what people heard when Jesus spoke, it went like this, de ten humon, which means notice then y'all's righteousness. And then the next word is not. So it literally goes, notice your righteousness not to do it in front of other people. What Jesus, I think, is doing is trying to reach back into what he's done in, in, in Matthew 5. So all the sermons we've heard about all these other weeks are all about what we do. You know, don't have affairs. And when you're angry, that's a lot worse than you think it is. And when you're lustful, that's not really just a private thing. And keep your oaths and all this stuff. And now Jesus is saying, you'd expect Jesus to go like, and notice when you do that. Pat yourself on the back. But that's not what he does. He says, I want you to do that. And I want you to take care not to do it like in front of other people. Now, what's a little annoying is when Jesus started that teaching in Matthew 5, he said a phrase that a lot of us know, which is, let your light shine before men. And it's that same phrase there, emprosthen ton anthropon. Before he says, let your light shine in front of other people, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. But here he says, Don't do your righteousness in front of other people. So how are we supposed to do that? Hold on to that thought. So Jesus has said, I want you to do what I've commanded you to do in chapter 5. I just don't want you to do it for show. And that first verse that's in this passage, it sets up these two themes that are important for the whole of Jesus' teaching. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Not to do things for show and rewards from heaven. Those are kind of the two themes Jesus is working with. So let's like take the first one. Don't do things for show. Jesus' language here is steeped in the language of the ancient theater. So even that word um, uh, that they be careful not to practice your righteousness before human beings that they might be seen is the word thani? it's where we get the word theater. Don't do it so that it's like a spectacle for them. And then he, he has this group of people that he keeps harping on called the hypocriti, the hypocrites. Now for us, hypocrites are people who say one thing and do another thing. But the word actually just means actor, like a stage actor, and the idea is stage actors put on shows that aren't real so people can see them. And Jesus is saying, I don't want your righteousness to be a show, like I want it to be real. Don't do things so that people look at you and think, my, what a righteous young fellow. And so um, he says, don't blast a trumpet in front of you. Well, that, that could reference a couple things. It could reference this practice that seems to happen in Roman theater where, you know, like, If you were here during the first service, you're like a million miles away from me, you know? And so you can't, like, I could be Steve Martin, for all you could tell. And because you can't really see all that well onto a Roman theater, and because you've got a mask on, the actors do, sometimes when a famous actor from out of town would walk on stage, they'd do a little, like, ba-ba-ba, like, they would just do a tiny trumpet blast, as though to say, like, pay attention to that guy. Well, Jesus says, don't do that. When you do righteousness, don't, like, announce yourself. Or it could refer to the fact that in the temple in Jerusalem, there were these 13 trumpet-shaped donation boxes. And they're trumpet-shaped, so you can't go in there and steal stuff. Like, you can't get your hand through. And they're made of metal, and they look like trumpets. And so, some people think that what Jesus is referring to here is that in the temple when people gave, sometimes they'd kind of, like, they'd, like, kind of hike their change onto the trumpet so that you could hear how much they'd given which is sometimes called sounding the trumpet. So maybe maybe he's referring to that. Maybe that's like what he's playing on. We don't know, but what we do know is Jesus is saying, "Don't give for show. And when you pray, don't pray for show. Go into your tameon." It's the word. And a tameon, this room, well, it could be your pantry. Because in the ancient world, a pantry is the door the room in your house that most likely has a door on it. So maybe Jesus, it's a little bit of a joke, if that's true. It's like, go into your herb cabinet and pray. Jesus is saying, like, you know, get away from people. It, it sometimes is also used for a bedroom um, or, or sort of a, a bedroom where you would only bring in people you really trust. There's a story in the ancient world of a man who's dying. He's in his bedroom, and he tells his wife and his slaves to leave because he doesn't trust them but there's this one man that he really trusts and he invites him in. This sense that your tummy your closet, your room, it's a place of privacy, but the people you really trust, they they can get in there. And then fasting. You know, like you can't really see what's going on in my body right now in all these funny ways. And so if I want to let you know that I'm fasting, I have to like let you know. And so fasting was a regular part of ancient religious life, and so people would like, they'd let you know that they were fasting. And so they'd look terrible, you know? Well, Jesus say, don't do that, because God can see what's going on inside of you, and, and I don't want you to like show other people about, just do it, not for show. Sure. Do chapter five, but don't do it because you want to be seen. Have you ever, like, had a conversation with somebody where you talked, like, you you said stuff, but you think it was pretty much all about them? (laughs) Like, Like, they're caring for you, but they're really not. And you can tell that they don't really care what you have to say. And I'm sure I've been that person to lots of people. I'm sure some of you are in this room. But it's this terrible feeling that this person doesn't really care about me. If you care about people seeing that you're righteous, you can't really care for anybody except yourself. People who are free from the need to be praised and from the fear of being criticized can really live the Jesus life because they don't care what other people think about them like that, and they don't do it to be praised. So that word that Jesus uses, that when people give, they give so that they be praised by other people, it's the word actually, it's the verb form of glorified, doxestai. And in Hebrew, the word for glory is kabod. In Greek, it's doxa. And it's funny, because both of those words sort of have things to do with gold. Gold is valuable. Gold has literal weight, and gold shines. And that's what glory seems to do in the Old and in the New Testament. That's important, I think, when we start to think about the second theme, that you get a reward. What's that about? Our culture tends to believe that you shouldn't do things for rewards, and I kind of get why that is. Because it would be a little bit like doing it for show, you know? And the Greek word for reward is miston. Um And it, it actually means something like wages. It's what you're due. If you win the race, you're due the prize, you get the prize. Well, well in the first teaching, Jesus says, you know, don't one, give away money and don't, don't get any social capital off of it, and God will reward you. And in the second one, he's saying, like, do do pray, but don't let anyone see you so they won't admire you. And in in the last one, he's like, don't eat for a little while and don't let anybody see you. Which means money, bodily well-being, and social capital aren't the rewards you're getting. Jesus says if you give those away in secret. So when God rewards us, it's not about, I don't think it's gonna be about money. I don't think it's gonna be about how cool people think I am. I don't think it's gonna be that I'm always gonna be healthy all the time. I think it's about this thing of being in secret. I think it's this thing about heaven. So your father who's in heaven, he'll reward you. Heaven for us often means the place where you go, where you die, where there are chubby angels playing the guitar. And I guess that's fine, but it's not very biblical. Um, In the Old Testament, the word for heaven is shemaim. It's just the skies, and it's plural. And in Greek, it's uranois, it's also plural. And heaven, is not where you go where you die, it's where God lives. It's like God's space. And so, remember that big story in the Bible? God makes the earth a temple so that heaven and earth are the same place. And then in the story of Moses, there's a tabernacle where God can be present with Israel. And then there's the temple where God is present in the Holy of Holies. And in Jesus' story in Act 4, Jesus is the presence of God. Well, in Act 5, it's going to be the presence of the Spirit. In Act 6, there's this remarriage. Heaven and earth, which got divorced in Act 2, when humanity said, no, no, we'll be the gods here, they get remarried in what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The whole Bible is one big story of trying to bring heaven back to earth, not after you die, but before you die. You don't have to be dead for God to reward you. I don't know if that's, like, good news to anybody. But when Jesus says... God will reward you when God who's in heaven, when your father who sees in secret, when your father who isn't, when he'll reward you, what's that reward? I think, I think, it's about becoming the sort of person who can bring heaven to earth. You know, the Bible sort of believes that there's this this stuff called glory, and it's in heaven, and God's got a lot of it. And God's a generous God, so sometimes he'll share it. And if the people who give in public, they want glory from other people, I think people who give in secret and who pray in secret, who fast in secret, I think they get glory from God. The Bible says that in a couple places. So in John, there's this phrase where Jesus gets angry because the Pharisees have sought the glory that comes from human beings and not sought the glory that comes from God. Or Romans, Paul has this I think, really striking phrase. Paul says, but a Jew is one inwardly. We don't have time to go into into this, but the word is actually in secret. A, A real Jew, he says, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The Bible is looking for people who learn to live on the affirmation of God. It's not that Christians don't seek glory. It's just that we don't seek fake glory. We don't seek the glory that comes from other people, other people's praise, other people thinking we've done well. It doesn't mean that we don't have love and affection, or I'm not saying that. But what, whose praise like drives you? Whose praise do you look for? Well, Jesus says, if you do things in secret, your father will reward you. Again, that room, Tameon, the private place, where you can host intimate friends. The secret life is the life of glory because if you keep it a secret, if you don't seek other people's praise, I think we become people that carry the glory of God. I think that's why in one chapter he can say, let your light shine before human beings, that they would see your works. The light and the works, they look a little different. They'd see your works, they'd glorify your father in heaven, but you don't do your righteousness in front of other people. Jesus wants us to be people who genuinely do good and genuinely don't care about being seen, and he wants us to be seen that way. Jesus wants us to be seen for people who don't care about being seen. Jesus wants a world where we do good and God gets glorified, and God then glorifies us. We become people who can bear the light of God when we do this curious thing where we we don't care about who sees us. I kind of think being righteous might not be that hard. I think caring about being righteous, being seen to be righteous is probably really hard. Giving to people is joyful, and prayer with the Lord is intimate, and fasting is this crazy wild adventure, which is sort of a lot of fun, but it's a little exhausting for me to take the time to let you know if we don't do that, then we can be a certain kind of people. If we become people who cultivate a life of secrecy, then we don't, have to, we don't have to care how people see us. God will take care of the fact that when they see our works, they'll really see God's glory. So at City Church, sometimes we talk about feet to your faith. Here's how I think you do this this week. One, Google heaven. The Bible Project. If you're watching this online, open a tab, Google it. Don't watch it now, but it'll be there for when this is all done. That's one, because I think that video shares a lot of helpful thoughts. The second one is, go do something nice and don't tell anybody. Like, give whatever money you can give. Do whatever it comes to you to do when the question is, how do I help someone who needs help? Just do something good for someone and then don't tell anybody. Like maybe tell your spouse, because you probably don't care by this point that they praise you anyway, but just don't tell anybody. And don't change the names in the story and then tell somebody else as though it doesn't count. Just don't tell anyone. In fact, like a little bit, try to forget about it. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. If we do that, if we become the kind of people who can be genuinely seen for genuinely not caring about being seen, people who can do good works and send the glory to God, people who can live the life that Jesus calls us to without anxiety, which is where the chapter ends, without needing to serve God and money, without any of that, if we can do that, then we'll be the kind of people who can carry God's story through act five until act six, which is that final day when God will be, when heaven and earth get married again, when God will be the light in the center of the city and where the finger of God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that what you intend, you've intend intended to teach us is what we will have learned. We ask that you would empower us in community and in the spirit to live this life, a life of holy secrecy so that we can fulfill your call so that we can be part of your mission to save creation we ask for that privilege and that blessing we take a moment to ask you to bring our attention to places where we care more that other people see us than that you see us we remember your forgiveness we ask for your help Give us a desire to be people who carry your glory, who know you in secret, who trust you intimately, and who give you glory in the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name.